The Holy Gospel for this day comes from Luke chapter 17. Jesus said to his disciples, Occasions for stumbling are bound to come, but woe to anyone by whom they come. It would be better for you if a millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea than for you to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Be on your guard. If another disciple sins, you must rebuke the offender, and if there is repentance, you must forgive. And if the same person sins against you seven times a day and turns back to you seven times and says, I repent, you must forgive. The apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. The Lord replied, If you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Who among you would say to your slave who has just come in from plowing or tending sheep in the field, Come here at once and take your place at the table? Would you not rather say to him, Prepare supper for me, put on your apron, and serve me while I eat and drink? Later you may eat and drink. Do you thank the slave for doing what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all you were ordered to do, say, We are worthless slaves. We have done only what we ought to have done. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace to you from God, our Creator, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So a lot happened in those few short verses that we just heard from Luke's Gospel. We heard about not causing other people to stumble, and a command to forgive repeatedly, probably more times than any of us would find strictly reasonable. A demand for faith from disciples who fear that they don't have enough, they're going to run out of it. And then a complex, slightly confusing conversation about slavery, which feels troublesome to our 21st century ears. That's a lot in 10 verses. If to you these sayings of Jesus feel slightly disconnected from one another, take heart, you're probably right. Scholars say that this chapter appears to be a collection of things Jesus said, but probably not all at the same time. One scholar said he envisions the author of Luke's Gospel sitting down to write with a desk full of post-it notes, each with a story or parable or teaching of Jesus that he wants to include. But when he's done writing, there's some extra post-its, so he went back and stuck them all in this chapter. (laughs) But regardless of their somewhat random nature, and whether they're connected to each other or not, they're still here, right in front of us, and they still demand that we, call, that we struggle with the meaning of them. And in these short verses, there's a lot to consider. Forgiveness. What is it? What does it look like? Faith. What is it? What does it look like? And what are we supposed to do with this slavery metaphor at the end? Many of these questions, as I thought about them throughout the week, collided into one another for me as I watched coverage of an extraordinary act of public forgiveness in a courtroom in Dallas. Maybe you have seen this, in which a former police officer, Amber Geiger, a white woman, was convicted of shooting and killing her neighbor, Botham Jean, a black man, after she walked into his apartment apparently believing it was her own. 
At her sentencing hearing, Mr. Jean's brother spoke and said that he forgave her because he believed it was what his faith called him to do. If you are truly sorry, he said, I forgive you. Initially, something deep in me had a reaction a lot like what the disciples said to Jesus when they heard his command that we forgive repentant sinners, not once or twice, but even seven times in a single day. I also thought, well, increase my faith because I'm pretty sure that I don't have the courage or strength or clarity of heart to speak words of forgiveness to someone who killed a person I love. All four of the Gospels tell us that Jesus talked not infrequently about forgiveness. So when his disciples asked him how to pray, mutual forgiveness was at the heart of his teaching. Forgive us our debts or sins as we forgive those indebted to us. Several times in the Gospels, forgiveness is tied to healing. So that a man who was paralyzed is taken to Jesus, his sins are forgiven, and then he's able to walk out of the room carrying his own stretcher. Or a woman comes to a dinner party weeping and, and anointing Jesus' feet with her tears and drying them with her hair, and instead of chastising her for this embarrassing display, Jesus holds her up and sends her out as an example of love and welcome. Even in his dying, Luke's gospel tells us that Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But it's also true that talking about forgiveness and actually forgiving people in the name of God got Jesus in a lot of trouble. And that's probably not surprising because forgiveness is complex. Whether it's personal, in a relationship, or much larger. What looks like forgiveness to one person feels like letting a person off the hook to someone else. What feels like forgiveness to one person feels like injustice to someone else. What if forgiveness, people say, is just too easy a way out? What about consequences? And what if deep down you don't think you have what it takes to forgive someone else or something that happened to you or maybe even yourself? I said at the beginning that part of me deep down wondered if I could ever offer words of forgiveness the way Mr. Jean offered them to the person who had killed his brother. But as I wondered about that question for myself, I began to notice other questions, too, among people I know and love. I began to notice that many of my friends who are white talked about the story using words of praise and joy for this extraordinary act. And I noticed that my friends who are people of color, many of them were responding differently. 
Some were quiet. Some were frustrated. Some were angry. And in listening to them, I began to wonder other things. How often have we seen black men and women offer this kind of forgiveness in the face of horrifying crimes? Was it possible, although I don't like to admit it, that maybe I found this moment so heartwarming, partly because those words of forgiveness were being offered to somebody who looks like me? And when, I thought, have I ever seen in a courtroom or maybe anywhere, a person of color receive the kind of forgiveness that we saw that day. I then read some words from Dr. Martin Luther King's daughter, Bernice, who said, God bless Botham Jean's brother, but let's not confuse his forgiveness with absolving this nation for its discrimination against black people. Racism and white supremacist ideologies, he said, can't be hugged out. And that brought me back to the gospel again, because the gospel today says some really significant things about forgiveness. You might have heard that while Jesus asks his disciples, commands his disciples to forgive repeatedly, there is also something expected of the one asking to be forgiven. And that's repentance. So Jesus says, if another disciple sins, and if you rebuke the offender, and if there is repentance, you must forgive. I realized how often I jump to the desire for forgiveness without standing in the discomfort and pain of the work required to truly repent. And quick forgiveness without repentance is not what Jesus is asking of his followers today. Too often we want to claim that, the relief and the release of forgiveness, but we don't spend nearly as much time talking about or acting toward repentance. Forgiveness is beautiful and courageous and strong, but the kind of forgiveness Jesus holds up today also carries a demand, and that's transformation. The literal meaning of repentance, turning yourself around and going the opposite direction. That's key. It matters. It matters in our individual relationships, and it matters when we talk about our communities and our nation. So that extraordinary gift offered by Mr. Jean in the courtroom this week and before him by members of Mother Emanuel Church after they suffered a horrific attack by a white supremacist in 2015 and by countless other black men and women in this country, that extraordinary gift of forgiveness doesn't take away the need for deep and true repentance among us. It doesn't wash away the legacy of racism so built into the way we work that those of us who are white barely even see it, often argue that it doesn't exist. In fact, forgiveness never lessens the need for us to do justice. It actually increases that call. 
Because if we can accept forgiveness without asking ourselves what we're doing to build a world where that forgiveness isn't necessary anymore, then we've not really heard the gospel. We've put our comfort in its place instead. Unless we think that all of this is for someone else to do, is really someone else's problem and not ours, let us remember that the young white man who shot and killed nine people in a Bible study at Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston, that young white man grew up in an ELCA congregation. So when I think about all of that, I confess to you that I am right back to my first reaction like the disciples, afraid that I don't have what it takes. I don't have the faith or the courage or the strength or the wisdom to do what's needed. Instead, I, I cry out a lot like the prophet Habakkuk we heard earlier today, whose words are 2,600 years old, but they feel brand new. Oh Lord, how long shall we cry for help and you do not listen? cry to you violence and you do not save destruction and violence before us justice never prevails but the gospel carries with it today another gift admittedly it's wrapped in a complicated metaphor at the end of what jesus says but underneath it it seems to be saying something really crucial and hopeful to us and that is that faith the work of faith, the work of justice and transformation and repentance, they're not a matter of how much faith we have. Faith, says Jesus, isn't a thing that you either have enough of or you don't, like chocolate. <laughs> faith is a thing you do. It is the everyday work from small changes to facing the big truths we try to hide. And so Jesus seems to be saying, don't wait. Do the thing. Set the table. Do the right thing. Do what's in front of you, even when it's hard. Do what you can, every chance you get. Don't wait to be thanked or rewarded or even noticed because that's not what this is about. Faith isn't the having. It's the doing. And in the doing, we are changed. So maybe your faith will be like Habakkuk, standing out in the public and crying out at the injustice that you see. Or maybe your faith will be small steps that you can take to learn to listen about the ways we have hurt others and created pain, whether we meant to or not. Or maybe your faith will look like repentance in whatever relationships it needs. Faith is active and restless and moving and listening and pushing. And maybe we'll never feel like we have enough. But the good news is, there's no need to wait. There is a vision for the appointed time. Justice needs doing, the world needs turning, we need repenting, and God is faithful in sending us to do whatever we can. Thanks be to God. Amen.